Rabbi Chaim Mensch, welcome to my number 16th podcast, The Mensch, where each week we talk about things in the news, topics, how should we behave, how should we be to be a mensch, and God willing, we'll come out of this a much better person, but in the meantime, a lot going on in the news this week. First and foremost, this is a week that should have been a debate, and there are no debates. If On Thursday night, you had uh, Joe Biden having his own town hall meeting with ABC News, and Donald Trump, the president, he had it with uh, NBC, each one of them having their own town hall. Now, why couldn't they have their debate? Simple. When the president got his coronavirus, we didn't know when he would be healed, when he'd be able to get out. And Joe Biden said, listen, I'm not going to waste a night. So tonight should have been a debate. And ABC said, all right, we'll do a town hall. Let people ask questions. Being that... The president said, I'm not going to go and do a debate, you know, me looking into a Zoom and you're in a Zoom. I'll do my own town hall. So they went head to head. It was very interesting tonight because we were able to see the differences between the two types of debates. One was a president who had to defend everything in his life, whereas the other debate was, we want to help you become president. That's basically what it was. There, was, there weren't any hardballs being thrown at uh, Joe Biden, where the president, I mean, he was, he, you know, he was interrupted tonight as many times as he interrupted Joe Biden in the last debate. I mean, wow. I mean, go talk about him trying to say something and say, no, let's go to the next question. I mean, he was being uh, hogtied when he wanted to get a point out. But one of the things that he kept on bringing up was is that whenever they asked him about White supremacy. He says, why don't you just denounce it? He says, okay, I'm denouncing it. Can we move on? No, but how come it took you so long to denounce it? He says, I just denounced it. Can we move on? And then he goes and says, well, why don't you ask, you know, the, you know, the other candidate? Why don't you ask him? Does he denounce Antifa? He said it doesn't exist. Why don't you guys ask him that? In weeks, I'm waiting for you guys to ask him one hard question. So this was the difference in a debate. Trump, the president, had to feel that these questions were being combative at him. And if you saw the way Biden was, he had a few difficult questions, but most of the hour was like, here, take a softball, go hit it wherever you want, and let's see wherever it lands. But there's a lot more going on in the news because these debates, do they really, or these town halls, do they really change the mind of too many? Maybe, I don't know. I think just about every single person in America knows who they're voting for already. I can't imagine if you're, un- if you're undecided. Why? What is it that's making you undecided? At this point in the game, people are voting already, and you're still undecided? But this week was a major, major thing. And there are ads, and there are politicians all attacking the president. How dare you a nominate? And the Republican Party, how dare you make hearings? for the Supreme Court justice. Why don't we wait until after the elections? Well, there are two things I want to go and say. First, I want to talk about this woman that they put up. And the second thing I want to talk about is, was it a smart move of the president? The answer is yes. As long as he's president until mid-January, he has the power of the office. And the Constitution says if there's an empty seat, he has to nominate 
somebody to sit in the Supreme Court. Now, if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to, but he, he wanted to. Why not? What about the Republican, you know, in, in the Senate? Well, they have a constitutional obligation. They have to listen to everything that the president, you know, puts up for the Supreme Court. So they have to do it. They couldn't go and say, no, we'll wait. How do you wait? Where do you wait? We're in the, we're in the Constitution to say you can forego your responsibility. So I know half the country doesn't like it. Um, makes no difference how I feel. But I'm a person who believes in the Constitution. And the Constitution says you got to do it. You got to do it. I mean, unfortunately, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she passed away, but it led an opening. Why shouldn't the president go and do it? It would have been any other person. They would have done it also. I think in, in the Obama administration, there was an opening. And what happened was, is that the, the Senate took it upon themselves that we will go and debate it, but not right now. So you can't push the Senate to go and take a nomination and debate about it. If they want to do it, they can. And that's how Obama did not get his candidate. Call it politics, call it whatever you want. Trust me, when the foot's going to be on the other side one day, they're going to do the same thing to the Republicans because that's what politics is all about. But this woman, she is, whoa. It, it makes no difference if you're a Democrat or Republican, if you're a, if you're a liberal or if you're a conservative. This is one woman that I personally am very impressed with. First and foremost, where she comes from, she, she was born by the name of Amy Vivian Coney in New Orleans. She's the eldest of seven children, five sisters and one brother. Her father worked as an attorney for the Shell Oil Company, and her mother, Linda, was a high school French teacher and a homemaker. I mean, her parents are pretty professional. And anyway, after high school, Amy, what did she do? She went to Rhodes College, which she majored in English literature, minored in French. She graduated in 1994 with a Bachelor of Arts, magna cum laude, and was inducted into the Macron Delta Kappa and the Phi Beta Kappa. I mean, this is a brainiac here. In her graduating class, she was named the most outstanding English department graduate. She has seven children. She got married. She has seven children. She adopted two which I think is a wonderful thing. You have five and you still adopt two more, two black kids. One was from Haiti. Now, people who were asking her in the Senate said, do you think it's right for taking a child after an earthquake from its mother? Is that the smartest thing to do? Yeah, when the mother's saying, I can't take my kid after the earthquake, I adopted this child and I'm giving it a much better life. But the mother can still have contact with this child. I mean, who does it after having five children start adopting two? That's pretty special. But what impressed me more than anything else was the way she conducted herself. She sat there, answered questions, and they came up with a lot of questions about things that she said in the past. Now, most candidates have their big file cabinet of papers to be able to check, to be able to get an answer, whatever the senators are asking. So what happened was, all of a sudden, one of the senators asked, um, what's that in front of you? So she said, a pad of paper. And so she picked it up. And he says, what's written on it? He says, the House of Senate. 
He says, you mean you're sitting here without notes? No notes. This woman is smart. She sat through an entire barrage of questions on every single thing that she ever spoke about, wrote about, or different types of laws that may be able to come up. She didn't have to look at any notes. At the top of her tongue, she sat there calm, cool, and collected. Now that, my friends, is a brilliant judge. I couldn't kill less what side of the aisle you're on. The fact that she's brilliant, got to give props. This is not just some hack getting a job. Now, how did she get a job? You know, it's kind of funny. And did you know in 2017, she was nominated to become the Seventh Circuit? She was nominated to become, you know, a judge on the Seventh Circuit. And 11 months later, she was she 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 got the job, and 11 months later, she was put onto President Donald Trump's list. If I ever need to have a judge for the Supreme Court, I would like to take her. She literally is one of the smartest women you're going to find out there. She's very calm. She's very collected. And no matter how many bullets they start shooting at her, she never lost a call. So all I can say is like this. Whether I like her politics, not, not a lot of politics, whether her decisions are not like her decisions, whether she's to the right or not to the right, makes no difference. You've got somebody with a brain. And that is the most distinguishable thing that you can have when sitting on the Supreme Court. She's a religious lady. Um, she's a very devout in her religion. She brings up her family that way. And why not? In a time when America doesn't have a lot of religious people um, to be spoken of, there's a breath of fresh air to hear from her, of her devoutness to her religion. So this week, there's some major stuff that went on. It's her, plus the no debate, the two town halls. Now comes the biggest question. We got literally 19 days to go until election day. Did you vote? Why don't you wait for the last debate? Maybe one of the candidates will say something that will switch your head. Or maybe your candidate will say something, say, how could I even think of voting for that person? I don't know. I'm going to wait till the end. How about you? I know. I'm voting. Because that's what a mensch does. And we got to do whatever it takes to make this country a much better place. Let's get one more debate. Let's get this lady nominated to the Supreme Court. Let's get away all this cacophony. And let's start going to the election. And let's hope by when we wake up November 4th, the country is united. God bless America. And God bless you. Get out there and vote. Welcome back to The Mensch. And this is where questions are always thrown at me by my producers. And when they ask me these questions, sometimes they're very tough. But how does it work? Let me send you over to my producer, Jack. Take it away. Hi, Rabbi. This is What Would a Mensch Do? These are quick bites asking topical questions from today's news. For the first question, Rabbi, how should a Jewish person think about voting? What, what should go be going through their mind? Some people vote ethically. Some people vote based on their pocketbook. What, what should a Jewish person think about? A Jewish person, when they go voting, they shouldn't just be voting for the, you know, the economic policies. You also are voting for the weather bell, where the country is going, which, which leader would go and bring us to a more moral place. A Jewish person should always be guided 
by two things. What's best for this country, but in their mind, how does Torah want me to vote what's best for this country? The Torah is an amazing teaching. It's an amazing book. And it has literally, the way I see it, the right answers for everything. So if you are guided by the Torah, you're most probably going to be voting for things that on some things are very conservative. Some things you're going to be voting for that is very, very liberal. Because the Torah is not one-sided. The Torah is very balanced because it's God's wisdom, not man's. You know, you know there are some things in, in the Torah that tells us how a leader has to be. And a country goes the way a leader is. Sometimes you wish a leader had a little bit more love, compassion. But then on the other hand, the leader is also the one that makes the economic understandings. So you would love that the two things that a country needs, protection, foreign policy, economic, and also to be a living example on how to be a wonderful American, you want that to be the embodiment of your president. In this election, it's divided amongst the different candidates. So which one would I go for? You know I can't answer that question. But those are my guiding principles. Great question. Thanks, Rabbi. What do you say to the Jews or the Americans that, that think, why Israel? Why is Israel so important? Why, why is Israel such a pressing issue? You know, there are a lot of people that do uh, put America first, and they feel that why should we care about other foreign countries? Israel to them is a foreign country. Even though they're Jewish, it's a foreign country, just inhabited with a lot of Jews. You know, France has a lot of Jews. Should we all of a sudden start, you know, doing everything for France? Also, that's the way they look at it. I look at it totally in a different way. First of all, Israel is the biblical homeland of the Jewish people. And I look at myself, thank God that I'm able to also live here in America and treat it as an equal. And I love this country. I, I, if anybody knows me, I'm red, white, and blue. But Israel is a place that is supposed to be peace and has to be open society, which it is. And because of that, it's one of the biggest allies of America in that region. I mean, the intelligence that America gets. You do not want that country going down, God forbid. So America needs Israel, maybe more than Israel needs America, if that makes any sense. Because the intelligence that we give, what goes on there in the Middle East, is mind-boggling. So yeah, Israel helps America, and I'll, and I'll vote for anybody who wants to help Israel because my spiritual brother is there. Now, someone may go and say, well, why, why Israel? Well, all you have to do is open up the book of Genesis. Where God goes and says to Abraham, walk this land. This land is yours. This will be given to you and your seed. When the Jews left Egypt, they came back to the homeland, which God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a small piece of land, a little bit the size of bigger than maybe New Jersey. And that land is so holy, that's why it's called the Holy Land, that there are many commandments in the Torah, in our religion, that only if we're living there, do these things have to be done? Which shows you, not only is it my homeland, but it is a religious land where I can serve God more unique ways than if I'm here in the United States. So, biblically, uh, godly Israel has to be protected and because it's, it's where people can live freely and serve God any which way they want. So this story takes us back to the 1700s with a great rabbi, 
the Baal Shem Tov. He was sitting and eating dinner Friday night in his home, but he also had a lot of his students. And these were great rabbis, his students, and they were singing and they were eating and they were having like a very holy Shabbos. And all of a sudden, the Baal Shem Tov started laughing ah! <laughs> and looking towards the ceiling, like towards heaven. They did it three times during the meal. All of a sudden, the students go and ask, Rebbe, why, why were you laughing? He says, go get Yankel the shoemaker. So Yankel the shoemaker, they go to his house, they knock on the door, comes to the Rebbe, says, Rebbe, it's Friday night. What did I do? You're calling me? Is everything okay? He says, yes. He says, I want you to tell me about your Shabbos dinner tonight in your home. He says, I got to be honest. We almost didn't have a Shabbos dinner. I made no money this week. We had no money for food. So my wife took a brooch that I gave to her as an engagement. She went to the marketplace when I was in synagogue praying, do we have some food or what are we going to do? And she went and she sold it and she bought wine. And she bought not black bread, but white bread because dirty wheat looks black in the, in the old days. White bread was considered rich man's food. He said, I didn't have gefilte fish, but I had a real piece of fish and meat and everything. And what happened was, is that when my wife, when I walked into the house and I saw the table set with all this beautiful food, I looked at my wife and said, what happened? And she said, I sold the brooch so we can have a beautiful Shabbos. So what did I do? I walked over to my wife and I started singing and dancing down all around the table with her. About 10 minutes later, she brought me a bottle of wine. Do you know I have not had a bottle of wine for Friday night in years? We can't afford wine. So when she brought me the wine, I walked over to her and I started dancing with her. Look, we can serve God tonight by having a bottle of wine. And then finally, I was able to have a piece of chicken. We usually have the scraps of fish. And that's all I had for my entire meal. But tonight. Not only did I have a good fish, but I had chicken for the first time in years. So when I got up, I got up and I started dancing with my wife. The joy that I can enjoy a Shabbos in the most beautiful way, one of the first times in my life. He says, anything else? He says, no. You only dance three times? Yes. He says, okay, thank you. And then he goes and says, when you and your wife danced in heaven, the angels were so happy to see. They were going to God. They were sending signals all over the world. Come look. Look at this Jew, how they're enjoying the Sabbath. And I saw the joy in heaven. I started laughing and dancing with them in my own way because of the beautiful joy that you brought to God in trying to observe the Shabbos. My dear friends, Shabbos is beautiful. Go out and enjoy tomorrow night. A beautiful Shabbos dinner with your family. This is Rabbi Mintz, always trying to give you ideas and thoughts and how you can go out there and make the right decision because a mensch always does the right thing because a mensch always has to be a mensch. God bless you and God bless America.